Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary and Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Sarah Henlicky Wilson. Sarah is a pastor uh, of a congregation in Tokyo, Japan, and she is a Lutheran theologian and an excellent thinker, scholar, pastor, preacher, and an old dear friend of mine from way back in graduate school. She's been on the show once before. We had a chance to talk about a passage from First Peter a few months ago. And been glad to finally get her back on the show already. I hope to have her on regularly. She's a wonderful guest. Love talking the scriptures with her. And so we talk this week about Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 6 through 17. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 17. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on so others may benefit as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show and receive some additional content along there with, simply go to patreon.com slash fresh text to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Sarah. So let's uh, let's hear Second Corinthians chapter five verses six through seventeen. All right, and this is from the English Standard Version. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died, who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word of Christ the words which he spoke and the words which were spoken about him by his apostles, including the apostle Paul. And as we have a little glimpse here into the ministry of his spoken words, as also a few of his written words, uh, gesturing to what he and the First Christians believed about your son, Jesus Christ, and about their own bodies, their own flesh, their own future. Um, there's, there's a lot here, Lord, some of which I am still making heads or tails of, others of which at least strike me clearly at first, though I imagine they may become more mysterious as we converse. But in all these things, I just want to ask that during this hour, your own spirit would be moving, moving in Sarah and I as we consider ways of interpreting this text and bearing it for others. 
as well as in the hearts and minds of all those who listen in, spread out over time and space. That one verse, Lord, struck me of uh, if we're beside ourselves or out of our minds, it's for God. But if we make sense, it's for you. So Lord, if what we stumble over brings us a kind of ecstasy in the good or bad sense, then, well, we offer that to you, God, as a sacrifice of uh, thanksgiving for your word and all its mystery. But if we offer something useful to those listening in that brings some clarity, may that be for the benefit of our hearers. So we ask now that you would be at work in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sometimes my prayers get a little longer because I get chatty. Like, I'm like, well, God, I'm thinking about this and that. And that was kind of one of those. And I thought I'd just name that. So, (laughs) yeah. So what are you noticing in this text? Great to have you back on the show. Sorry it took so long. Some of that was just scheduling complexities on my end, but. No problem. No, I'm thrilled to be back. And I'm I'm glad because it really like, like, wow, this is interesting. And, you know, just because of the difficulty of, of getting a, you know, a readable translation in English, you necessarily have to sacrifice some of the fun stuff. So let's talk yeah, about sure. stuff. <laughs> so first of all, all of this at home and away from home stuff. So yeah. Like, so like it's, it's one, it's a single verb in Greek. So like in, in verse six, it's endemuntes is the at home. It's a participle, I think. And then the mumen is a, that's a, an active verb is the away from home. So it's N is at home and ek is away from home, yes. but it's repeated in verse six. And then it appears again in verse eight and then again in verse nine. And so I was just so, so struck by this partly because I have been puzzling over um, where exactly did Christian ideas of heaven come from and like going home to the Lord. And like, there's a lot of kind of, um, piety about heaven that seems often divorced from the resurrection promises that in, in just, you know, kind of broad generic Christianity. But I actually found like a lot of sources for this in second Corinthians. And of course, since it's coming from Paul, it's not like shallow or anti-resurrection or anything, but I was just so struck by the at home and away from home language repeating over and over in this opening part of the passage. Yeah, there's definitely some translation clarification. Even the SV, which tries to be really faithful, it's tricky to pull off in language, but uh, in English. But uh, that first verse really matters where it says, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Um, but like but you said, it re- it repeats that phrase, we are away from home from the Lord would be right, more, right. Yeah. right. And which then is confirmed in the next two verses later, right? In nine, when it says, whether we are at home or away, we make it our, no, no, earlier, uh, verse eight, the to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So it keeps translating away from home as away, right? But it's kind of, there's two kinds of at home. From one point of view, bodily life as we now know it is a kind of familiar home. And yet on the other hand, to be with the Lord, whatever he means by that. And it's unclear at first glance. Yeah, I was hoping talking you would about... tell me. <laughs> because like, how does this fit with like 1 Corinthians 15, talking so clearly about the body and eternal life. And also with Paul's generally very strong sense of Christ's presence in the spirits. Like, what does he mean that we're away from the Lord? I mean, in 2 Corinthians overall, there's so much about Paul's bodily sufferings. I mean, he tells you several times how often he's beaten up and stoned. Like, is this just expressing someone who's just really feeling the weight of bodiliness? And so his his emphasis has shifted? Or is it more at odds with their, their stuff? I have to say, I don't really know what to make of it. Yeah. So the little I understand in my conversation with scholars over the years and things I've read is, although there's a whole range of options, the the two big options would be to take this as a different idiom, maybe a different emphasis, but basically coherent with the strong picture of a final bodily resurrection language, right? And then the other take is that this stands a little in tension with what we're getting Mm -hmm. 
in first Thessalonians four or in first Corinthians. And this bears some relation to what we then bump into in like Philippians, right? Mm-hmm. In Philippians one, where he says, you know, to, to, to live is Christ to die is gain these kinds of language. So the, the big question in Pauline talk of death and resurrection, uh, this is one of the big questions that I, I doubt we could count on resolving this hour, but it, it's right to bring up is to say, that there would be two two key ways of taking it as uh, a different way of speaking or uh, and notice there's a time frame on that these would be all later texts mm-hmm. so is he moving away not rejecting but kind of f- filling in the intermediate state as it were right so like he's got a strong concept of bodily resurrection there's no reason to believe that he's denying that I mean, he would need to kind of go on record and walk us through that because that would be a massive, especially because this is written to the same dang people, the Corinthians. Right, right, right. right. So I, I would leave, that's a third option that I think we shouldn't even consider, which is that he's just rejected his view of verse Corinthians and has changed his mind. But it would be a development to say, like you said, amid all the bodily suffering, the fact that the the years keep going, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Okay, well, yeah, so when people die, it's not like, they just kind of go off into dust and we'll find out about resurrection later. Yeah. There is something positive, some kind of positive mode of presence with the risen Lord that happens in the time between death and resurrection. And he's starting to, to fill that out. But again, this could be taken as just a different way of talking about final resurrection. It really is. It really could go either way. I mean, I think in other new Testament literature, you can see sort of in very, modest bits trying to explore that while we die now we're going to be resurrected at the end what comes in between you know and we like we regularly assure people i think appropriately that their loved ones who have died are with the lord right now but whatever right now means for us and for god and for the eschaton and the resurrection i mean those are all you then you sort of do this mind-bending stuff with time and um so maybe what we're just seeing here is you know the different like you said a different angle on the same thing i I would tend to to stress the pauline continuity overall rather than discontinuity or a totally different departure but anyway i guess maybe maybe the good thing for me here was to make me a little less instantaneously contemptuous of the you know with the lord at home (laughs) You know, uh, uh, heaven language, because um, I mean, if Paul can do it and have a strong doctrine of re- resurrection, I can I can allow grieving people. <laughs> Terrible. Pastor, yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely have struggled with I struggle with this in my own ministry. I know my kind of my emer- the rule of thumb that kind of emerged for me when I was preaching weekly, which I don't anymore. But now I just prep every week for other people to preach. That's <laughs> But fresh text is right. But uh, <laughs> what I was pre- my my kind of rule of thumb is you know, and I had an elderly congregation for the most part, and so we we definitely faced a lot of a lot of death and funerals and and things like that. And my general kind of rule of thumb was like when I was just doing my own preaching, like working through texts, working through series, preaching, especially Easter season, I just put all my eggs in the our hope is in that final bodily resurrection, the restoration of this world, New Jerusalem, all that. That's where my, where I put all my juice, you know, <laughs> it was all first Corinthians 15, right? Right, right, right. Um, yeah. But uh, during in, when I was working with grieving persons and in the context of in funeral settings and in conversations and in that kind of conversation, when the, when it, when it was moving, not from the text and my own preaching life forward, but kind of from their questions back, which was just as, just as frequent. Right. Um, Then I just kind of worked with their, with their preferred language and just worked in that, those categories. And it was during that time that I started noticing that there were some, because it was, this was a very biblically literate congregation, kind of working class people, but enough of grew up in the church. They had the language and could quote the verses sometimes that, uh, that I started realizing like, no, they got a lot of great proof texts and they're not all (laughs) wrong. Like the, the second Corinthians 15 would be one of them, right. That they would have this language is not foreign to the scriptures. Right, um, right. Though they certainly did tend to make what I would regard as the intermediate state, the final goal of, of hope. Right. And that's what I was trying to constantly correct with my preaching right, right, is right. that, no, that's actually just a temporary state. It's 
great. It's bet it's maybe better than this, but I shouldn't say maybe. Paul thinks it's better, <laughs> but uh, but it's not the final thing. It's not the final glorification of God, which is His primary passion. Yeah. So this is why I struggle with, I mean, you and I both are trained as systematic theologians and we sometimes because of our like tendency to want to put things in order, the chronological order sometimes misleads because it's very tempting to say, oh, well, yeah, there's like you die and then there's the intermediate state and then there's the final resurrection. Um, and then they but come like back Paul- with, today you will be with me in paradise. Take that pastor. Yeah. Yeah. But in actuality, like the, the movement should probably be like, yeah, death, final resurrection. Oh, and is there something in between? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's a few things about that. But it's kind of more of a footnote, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but maybe, you know, but this this text is clear that there's something there. It's not to be yeah. ignored. Well, and I, I think that, it, you know, the, the um, culturally relevant issue for us is that even after Lo, these many centuries of uh, Christian civilization were all still basically Greco-Romans at heart. And we think that our immortal soul will float up to heaven when we die. Yeah. And um, so that's probably why you and I are drawn to the resurrection passages to say, no, the body really matters. And I mean, it's clear throughout Second Corinthians as well as the rest of Paul's stuff is the body really matters. And that comes up in this too. So um, I think there's there's good license for us to kind of like harness the the heaven and at home with the Lord's stuff and, you know, keep it tethered to the body. Speaking of which, here's some other fun language stuff is the, the ecstatic line from verse 13. So which literally yes. stand outside yourself. So we, are, if we are ecstatic, if we stand outside ourselves, it is to God. And if we are sound and reasonable, uh, that's what I use for my own translation. It is to you. That means like the audience of second, Corinthians. Um, and I like that because ecstasy is still, I mean, even if it's now mostly affiliated with a drug, that is a word that we instantly get in English, you get it from its Greek derivation. And then the the um, sound and reasonable is from sophrosune, which people may know as one of, you know, in, in the Greek catalog of virtues, that means like sound reasoning or prudential reasoning or measured, considered judicious. And so I was I was struck particularly by this apposition that it it allows both states and that they both have a place and you are not required to choose one over the other but you should pay attention like where they are best directed so you don't need to be so prudential towards God but maybe be not so overemphasizing the ecstasy among others which I would imagine for Paul quickly turns into a display that he is particularly keen for his Corinthians not to get all hepped up on. Oh, that is so good. Yeah, that that verse really grabbed me today. I, I was curious, this is a question I'll just put to you. Does this bear any relation to what comes after? I can see how it goes bef- with what comes before. You 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 hinted at that with with his Corinthian audience and whether you know, are we commending ourselves now or not? You know, this is a big issue with the Corinthians. What's the basis of his authority and that kind of stuff? Um, And it's related to both of these things. There's both the questions of ecstasy linked to kind of Corinthian pagan kind of uh, practice, but also this language of being reasonable can also be linked to back to think back to first Corinthians, you know, the, the, where's the wise man and the debater of this age that it's the, the root word is hiding in there, the, of sophistry and, and, uh, and Sophia wisdom that they're connected concepts. So whether it's kind of pagan ecstasy or Greco-Roman rhetoric and learning, he is trying to make a subtle differentiation. What I was been wondering about what's coming after if this ecstasy and reasonableness if those correspond at all, knowing Christ according to the flesh versus according to the spirit. I, I don't know. How does that, I don't have a theory. It's a pure question. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. So I'll just wing it, but like, okay, go for it. Verse, so the next verse has the love of Christ. I, I don't like the, the ESV says controls us. That seems to me way too overstated. So I like my options are reigns us in, holds us fast, constrains us. But so mm-hmm. if maybe is the love of Christ the mediating factor between ecstasy towards God and reasonableness towards others? Like what what determines or shapes huh. them both is, <laughs> and then it's not what we have, but what Christ is. So Christ loves us. 
therefore we can be ecstatically responsive to God, but also our the love of Christ for us makes us, you know, I'm I'm just going to fall back on my Lutheran doctrinal terms here, but like makes us attentive in our vocation and care for the earth, the people around us, but it's not in a, like a independent of God or secular kind of way, but precisely because the love of Christ is like steering, directing, reining us in that we can exercise the best of human virtues towards people, but not like as an independent thing. I don't know. That, that seems like too easy. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) Wow. I think that's, I think that's really good. Let's take a quick pause and come back and, and keep playing with that. Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 6 through 17. Let's let's hear the text again, just so it's fresh in our ears. Do you have your translation handy or is it is it just yeah, were they just rough notes? It's 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 my well, I mean it is a translation, but it's kind of like sloppy and awkward English, but maybe that's helpful. Do that do that for the middle section and then we'll do a different trend. We'll do a, a completed one from another version in the third segment. How's that? Okay, great. All right. Hear so here, here's what I got. Therefore, being confident slash encouraged always, and having seen that we are at home in the body, away from home from the Lord, for through faith we walk, not through seeing or sight. We are confident slash encouraged, and we are the more pleased to be away from home from the body and to be at home toward the Lord. And therefore, we desire honor slash strive, whether being at home or being away from home, to be acceptable to him. For it is necessary that all of us be made manifest before the tribunal place of Christ in order that each might receive that according to which he committed in the body, whether good or foul slash worthless. Therefore, having seen the fear of the Lord, we persuade people, but to God, we are made manifest. But I hope also it is made manifest in your consciences. We are not again recommending ourselves to you, but giving a starting point to you for exalting concerning us in order that you might have this toward all who are exalting in the face and not in the heart. For if we are ecstatic to God, If we are sound and reasonable to you for the love of Christ reigns us in slash holds us fast slash constrains us having determined slash judge slash concluded this that one on behalf of all died. So all died and he died on behalf of all in order that the living no longer live to themselves, but to him who died and was raised on their behalf. Thus it is from now on. We don't see anyone according to the flesh. And if we knew Christ according to the flesh, we now no longer do we know him so. Thus it is, if anyone in Christ, new creation, the original things passed on, behold, new things happened. Sort of the word of the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> the word of the Lord? Question mark? <laughs> oh, I love that. I have so many questions now, but let me let me start with, with this one. What's what's going on in verse 12, second half of verse 12, so that we may have, you know, before those who are, what did you say, boasting or uh, glorifying? Exalting, in the, right, exalting. Exalting so in the face. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Right, because it's prosopone, you know, like we know from Trinitarian language later. And I just very briefly looked, but it seemed like, like this verb that I translated exalting doesn't have the negative connotation that boasting usually does right. in English. So it seemed important not to, because boasting is such an important issue for Paul. And for Paul um, actually boasting that he uses this word positively often. If, right. if it's, we're boasting in the right thing for boasting right, in Christ right, right. Yeah. or here it'd be in the heart. So I like exalting. I like that. That makes it a little more neutral. Right. Yeah. 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 That was a good call. I like this image though. Cause I, I mean the, you know, standard the, here, here's how ESV does it, right. Is the, who boasts, but even we change it to exalting, exalting about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. That's fine. But it was really cool to just say, cause heart we're, we're comfortable with that imagery. We're used to it. So to play off face versus heart. Right. And is a night. Nice, <laughs> right. What's that? In Instagram culture, you know, exalting in the face 
And we know how often yes. faces and advertising are doctored to look better than they are. So I think the face part gets to us, though I have to, I'm going to be a, a big complaining pants again here, but like the heart part is difficult for me too. the way the heaven part or the at home with the Lord part is. Okay. Because again, so often, like it is biblical and it is valid. And there is like, you know, the Lord judges not by outward appearance, by, by what's in the heart. That's way back there in the Old Testament. But there is a kind of like, you know, Paul matches this with, we will be judged for what we've done in our bodies, but yes. there is this <laughs> ongoing sense again in, um, you know, culturalized Christianity, culturalized, what is that? Um, that, um, you know, as long as your heart is good, then the rest of the stuff can be passed over or, you know, like he's really a good person at heart, despite the fact that he, you know, slept with my wife and took all my money or, you know, like, like there's ways in which the heart language is now used to exclude a lot. And I don't think Paul, again, because he talks so clearly about being judged for what we do in the body, he doesn't mean to play the one off against the other, but I wish I could have something as startling as the face part in the first half to be matched with the second part. I don't know, the kidneys, <laughs> could we say that? Sure. <laughs> the kidney side, that would be fun, right? The the face and the spleen. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Although actually, but just by saying face, so instead of having an abstract concept, outward appearance, mm-hmm. like most translations do here, mm-hmm. and then this concrete metaphor, heart, mm-hmm. right? To have both of them be concrete words, which they are in the original, face and heart, then you can use that, especially if it's going to be the focus of a sermon or a teaching, to use this as an opportunity of, now, what does Paul mean when he talks about Mm. our conscience and what's in our heart? Well, let's look at what he contrasts with. It's it's with our face, how we present ourselves publicly, right? right, 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 It's the picture we're presenting, because this is also the word for person, but not in the sense of your inner self but person in the sense of your persona, your public image. And, and so like you say, with Instagram, you can really play that off. And then it isn't about, Oh, action, outward actions don't matter. No. And you quote verse 10, we will be judged (laughs) in the tribunal at the end for, and by the way, side note, the, this reference, this reference to the judgment seat of Christ, the tribunal definitely suggests a final circumstance and not just an intermediate state, by the way. So that, That complicates our earlier discussion. But anyway, that that you can mention that in passing and then return to say, so it's not just heart in the sense of intentions, but then come back to that verb. What is it that we exalt in, right? Mm -hmm. What is it that that we value highest? What is it that we lift up? What is it that we celebrate? Is it what we see on the face or what we perceive to be in the heart? not only in ourselves, but in others, which by the way, comes back to your exegesis of ecstasy and reasonableness, Mm. right? Because reasonableness at the end of the day, this is an important difference, at least in the later Christian tradition between sofra, no moon, this word, sofra sune, the, this reasonableness is, is this is about common sense. This is what will work. What will make sense to people? Mm. Well, at the end of the day, that's about, that's kind of the flesh. That's kind of the face. That's kind of, you know, it, that's, pa- that's passing, right? Common sense, appealing to the common sense of sinners has its limits, right? <laughs> like uh, this, this ecstasy before God is linked to this more hidden uh, interior. These words aren't good, but they're no better oh, than no, heart, but, like, but you the, know what I'm saying. The sequence of manifest, it's it's appears, yes. I think. But I noticed it was the the funny funny rom what is it funny rometha. We are yes. manifest, and it's probably um, I would love to do more on how hymnody shapes our doctrinal perceptions. But there's an epiphany hymn I grew up singing, whose refrain is "God and flesh made manifest." And I remember this is so weird, but like I remember being about eight years old singing that hymn in church and the pastor preaching on Christ's epiphany or, you know, I don't, I don't know if it was the transfiguration or something like that, but in, in the epiphany season, and then his refrain in the sermon was God and flesh made manifest 
from that hymn. And it's not like Lutheran preachers are, you know, real big on the, the call and response refrain thing, but it fit very well with their hymnody. And that probably is the first sermon I ever remember hearing in my life. So now whenever I come across the words, Which is why you do refrains, because you remember them. <laughs> yeah, that's when you're eight. So anyway, I was just, I was really um, fascinated just by this, this re- repetition of the manifest. I mean, that's how I translated it. But in verse 10, all of us will be made manifest before the tribunal place of Christ, which is also interesting because it's not raised to, you know, it doesn't like get into revelations like first resurrection and second resurrection and, you know, kind of thing. And then, but then it like shifts in how it's used in verse 11. So like, I think ESV says God knows what we are, but it looks like the Greek says more like to God, we are made manifest. And then he says he hopes that we are made, this is also made manifest to them, but it's in their conscience that it would be made manifest. So again, there's this uh, implicit contrast from the face, which is easily perceptible, and the thing that is true or truer, but not so apparent. So maybe that's the, the line of connection from like verses 10 through 12. And it sounds like what will be judged in the end is what we do, what we practice, I think is the right term mm. there. I don't know if you'd agree, but epraxin, uh, uh, mm-hmm. not just what we have done in the body. Poi- it's not poiesis, doing right. deeds, but ra- or ergon work, mm. but our epraxin, right? Our practicing, right? So that right. it has a, that may not matter, but I just thought I'd mention that, that this practices of the body, those practices of the body are in some sense hidden, right? Because he says it's going to be made manifest. So this hidden, it's not just hidden in your heart in the sense of, oh, I did evil things, but my intentions were good. Like Paul would think that's bonkers, right? (laughs) No, I think Paul's saying, and and I don't, I think the Corinthian context is helpful here for for us to consider Mm -hmm. and for our listeners as they think about how they interpret this for themselves and their, their own, their own flocks. I mean, in this Corinthian context, there would be, I mean, just to put it bluntly, there was a lot of like religious sex. I mean, this was like a big part of like pagan life, especially in Corinth. I mean, it blew my mind to go to Corinth, got to go there in college and it's not a huge town, but it's, it's big enough. And, but it's kind of down on this flat. Have you been there? Or, no, no. Okay. So it's like on this flat area, not far from the water. And then there's this huge hill, more than hill, like a mountain. It's not tall enough to be called a mountain, but it's very, it's very, it sticks out like a sore thumb. This big, you know, rocky cliff above the city. There's not a single place in the city where you can't see it. Like it towers over the whole city. And up there is where the temple was, mm. where you would go visit the temple prostitutes. Right, right. And I will lift up I, my nines to the prostitutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there it is just towering over. Yeah, yeah. And imagine this is the first place on Paul's second missionary journey where he ends up staying a long time. He's there for a year and a half, according to Acts. And it's not a place of all the places that you visit. And it's not the one you come to and say, yeah, this place is really ready to hear the gospel of a Jewish God raising his Messiah, right? It has, <laughs> the, the paganism, the pagan religion, the sort of sexualized religion is so dominant, almost oppressive because of that, just the way that cliff stands over the town. And I mentioned that context because it can kind of help to say there's a lot of stuff going on up on that cliff <laughs> that are deeds, they're practices, mm. right? But they're private. It's it. what happens up there. What happens at the Acrocorinth stays at the Acrocorinth, <laughs> right? It's like, that's what it's called. The Acrocorinth up there. And like, and the idea that these practices are in fact, an expression of the heart. Mm. Right. Right. And right. Maybe this isn't what's on his mind in this particular paragraph, but I can't help but think about how there could be physical practices in the done with the body that are nevertheless secret in some sense, hidden, that will be then, but we have to account for them. And, and it will all be made manifest. Yeah. And when it comes to like appearances in the face, you, you could be a stand-up good Christian mm-hmm. in the community, but still be 
going up there on the weekend. And that clearly was a big issue in the first Corinthian letter. Right. And I can't help but think it's not still at least vaguely on the radar here. Well, it must be because, I mean, one of the, the, you know, Gnostic impulses is to say all that matters is the heart and the spirit and the body is evil anyway, and we'll leave it behind. And, you know, we're, we're going home to the Lord. So, I mean, what matter, what, what difference does it make what we do in the body? The body is corrupt and fallen anyway. And so, you know, I think Paul is always like pulling at either, either side of the extremes, trying to hold them together. Like, so how do you successfully assert what you do in your body matters, but not in a way that's interpreted, well, as long as I go through the motions legally, externally, then I'm okay. Like, oh no, your heart matters. Okay, well, if my heart is in the right place, does it really matter what I do with the body? I mean, I meant well, you know, so these are like the two obvious sides you can fall off on. How do you keep them integrated together? Oh, that's just perfect. I mean, you and- just kind of like named the the tightrope that needs to be walked. However, someone takes this text is make sure you don't fall off on either of those extremes of the tightrope here. Right. Um, but I think Paul knows the answer. And as always with Paul, it's an apocalyptic answer. Uh, yay. <laughs> verse 17. Thus, if anyone is in Christ and then he's so excited, he just abandons pronouns and verbs and just screams new creation. <laughs> yeah. It's so great. Oh, great. Yeah. It's such a shame that you don't get that in the English because I mean, it's bad English, but it's so amazing and powerful. And oh, but it, it works in English. All you have to do, the, the one of my greatest irritations in English translations is the lack of the guts to use a dash. All you uh, got to do is say, therefore, if anyone in Christ dash new creation exclamation point. And like, true. that's readable, but it's not, you know, like. Yeah, that's good. And I think, I mean, for Paul, that is the only way to answer. It's not going to be human diligence that pulls it off, you know, and there's clearly a place for it. We have to account for our practices. We have to account for being sound and reasonable. But ultimately, what this all is building up to is this invasive new reality, new creation that's come. And then, of course, the way he gets to the new creation is what Christ did for us in verses 14, 15, and 16. Yeah, I think you're you're dead right. I mean, the the key to all of this is the apocalyptic event of Christ's own death and resurrection that is somehow the death and resurrection of us all. Yeah. And that the truth of who we are, which comes back to all of this, what we're making manifest and why we're ultimately just in a moment. It, this is all just ex, this is all just ecstatic language. It's all just mm-hmm. ecstasy. We're all just saying ecstasy goes well with apocalypse. It's just the whole world has turned. Everything has completely changed. You just can't see it yet. It's somehow hidden and it's being slowly made manifest through our words, through our deeds, through the preaching of the gospel. And all of it will be exposed when Christ or revealed when Christ himself is revealed in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the meantime, so we're having to live in this back and forth where we also still have to deal with the flesh as we know it, deal with this not yet risen body as we know it. And right. All the, so already, have, the already not yet paradigm that we bingo. see again, and again, the sinner saint paradigm, the become what you already are, like all of these just inbuilt, they're either paradoxes or they're what is like, what it's like when apocalyptic revelation invades creation that is good, but fallen. Like in a sense, like if that's what it really is, then you would expect all of these so-called paradoxes to appear. They're not really, I mean, they're not ultimate paradoxes. They seem to be that way, but it's because what, what we're living in now is in a sense unprecedented. You know, it is new creation right here in the midst of old creation. How does that work? Well, <laughs> we're trying to figure it out as we go along here. Yeah, <laughs> I think Paul's trying to figure it out as he goes along. Yeah. How does that work? Exactly. Right. That's what <laughs> I'm trying to sort out. You know, it's not... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not all sewn up, but there are these moments of of ecstasy, of ecstatic language that just clearly articulate with confidence. I mean, verse 14, right? The love of Christ compels us, directs us. And we have concluded this, that one on behalf of all has died then or therefore the all have died, right? It's like, whoa, right? One died, all died, right? Hello, Carl Bartz. <laughs> yeah, well, what do you know? Yeah. <laughs> like he's biblical or something. Yeah, and on behalf of all, he died there, you know, so that yeah, yeah, those yeah. who live may 
live no longer to themselves, but on behalf of them who he who died and was raised, right? So this death and resurrection event is the thing that somehow changes the entire game, changes the, the whole system. I still don't know what the next verse is about, what it means to know Christ according to the flesh, but I don't know. We might just have to leave that one for the next time, but <laughs> I think the clock's running out. So. <laughs> we'll leave that. Oh man. Well, this has been good conversation. Let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with uh, Sarah Henlicky Wilson, and we're talking about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 17. Been having a fun conversation. Uh, in order to explore some sermon starters, let me just get up uh, one last read of the text. I'm going to use the, uh, the NLT here just to mix it up. Here we go. Let me bring it up. NLT, 2 Corinthians. I should have got this ready beforehand, right? That'd be more professional, but. The New Living Translation, they always take, they always make choices and they're often not the choices I'd make, but at least it's like an actual translation. You know, they don't just kind of like just choose the most like neutral term, you know, they like make choices. So I always like to try it out and it captures something. All right. So here, let's give this a try and then explore some sermon starters. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident. And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whenever we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us. So you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord? <laughs> yeah, thanks be to God. <laughs> oh, there's a bunch of choices there I really dug. And then there's a couple that I was like, oh, really? Come on. Yeah, new yeah, creation, they, baby. Don't give me new person. New creation, right? I know, I know. <laughs> like it just but a few, but a few of those were re- really helpful, I think. Those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. I think that's spot on. That's like exactly what. <laughs> yeah. And I also like the end of 16, like how differently we know him now. I like that kind Oof. of relative contrast. I thought that worked really well. But yeah. I thought in the beginning with the these earthly bodies, it had that um, um, Greco-Roman element of contempt for the material hmm. body. That's what it conveyed to me. But um, yeah. Anyway. Not ideal. It's hard, you know, because like whenever you have flesh, body, you know, right. how to how to express that. I'm guessing they were trying to say as opposed to the new resurrected body. Right. But that's not clear. Yeah. Uh, without it actually being mentioned, it's hard to get that. Yeah. 
Well, for for a sermon, I would so I um before we did this, I just read through straight through Second Corinthians to kind of refresh my memory of like what lies on either side of this passage. And it reminded me that one of the reasons why I love Second Corinthians is because it is so full of joyful exchanges, again, to use my uh my traditions doctrinal terminology of, you know, um, and it's it goes in so many directions. So it's Christ for me and me for Christ and me for others and Christ for others and me and others and you and me for each other. So there's just like this super dynamic, like pinging exchange of electrons happening constantly between um, God, the father and the son and the spirit and me and you and all the church and in all the different places. And it extends even ethically out to the, the collection for the church in Judea. And in terms of pain, comfort, affliction, suffering, like everything is just like trading. It's like a huge square dance. Like everything is just trading places all the time. And I love it because it's such a, I get in a a dynamic, not a static understanding of what a transformed, what a new creation looks like. You know, it's not a fixed in place, everyone in their proper rank and location, but this movement. And so given that whole context of second Corinthians, like if you zero in on verse 14, one on behalf of all died, so all died. So like that is like the this primary salvation Christological exchange. But then it like it doesn't stop there. It's not just done with that. But in verse 15, the reason he did that is so that now we no longer live to ourselves, but to him. And so then our life, that's, you know, the ecstasy when we're standing outside of ourselves and living towards him. And so I just think you could, you know, if uh, if this is, I don't know in the lectionary, if this is a standalone Second Corinthians passage or part of a series. But yeah, we're could, in a series, but w- okay. either way, but the series doesn't cover everything. It's selections, you know. So. Right. So, I mean, I'm always in favor of grabbing other parts, especially unread parts of, Absolutely. Uh, of scripture. And there's so many ways you could just build out of this and just show all these joyful exchanges pinging all over the place. Oh, I love that. That's great. I wonder if that could link up with the the direction I was thinking of going if I were to be preaching on this. That word ecstasy was exciting to me. I mean, because that it's so funny that that is a Greek word that's made it into English. And then for some reason, we choose to not use it when we translate the thing. Mm. Uh, and I, I'm wondering, there there is a kind of ecstatic logic built into those exchanges that you're talking about. Cause it's, it's this standing outside, right. And you can walk, I mean, you can be, there's a, there's a, there's the etymological fallacy where you put all this meaning into like one word, <laughs> right, right, right. but if you can use that, if you can use etymology as a pneumo as a, as a memory device, a mnemonic device, as a way to remember an idea, I think it's really helpful so ek is outside and stasis is to stand. So it's, mm. ecstasy is to kind of be to stand outside of oneself, hence beside oneself. And it can have, stasis, you know, like you're not in stasis anymore. You are out of stasis. I mean, that's really nice, which is, which cool. literally means dynamic, right? It's a negation of the static, right. which is an affirmation of the dynamic. And to even just say like, I mean, it could be, there could be, I mean, I don't know how to, how to enter in. Everyone has to know their own congregation and the kind of storytelling and humor that connects with your personality and your context, but to find a way to just kind of own that maybe verse 13 to just kind of own that as like position you're in as a preacher this week, you know, where you're like, um, I'm going to try to be reasonable and try to make this make sense to you. But I got to be honest, I'm mostly just entering into the ecstasy of this, of the story that Paul's telling here. And let me just highlight for you some of the ecstasy, some of the standing outside, out of stasis. And it is that it's, it's Christ somehow he's in his death. Somehow we're outside of ourselves. Something's happening to us and the new creation, somehow the new creation that still hasn't happened yet is somehow already happening now. And then that earlier stuff of being outside of the body links mm-hmm. up to ecstasy, right? It's, and it's mm-hmm. literally uses some of the, it is the same, uh, the same preposition, right? Ek, the same prefix is being used to talk about, well, yeah, to be 
outside of the body. This isn't talking about the soul, the soul escaping the body. This is a sense of like, we, our identity is not in ourselves. It's, it's in the crucified and risen Christ who is above us and out ahead of us, but also in us and in our community. And so to like, I mean, this isn't like three points in a poem or anything, but you could walk through, (laughs) you could identify as you, as I was developed, as I would develop a sermon, I would think I would have points though. I would think of like, what are the ecstasies? That's, I mean, I could even return to the passage in and return to my own life and, and look around in my congregation and ask, what are some of the ecstasies that I would like to celebrate and to be, and, and to name that that makes me uncomfortable because it sounds like drug language. It sounds, <laughs> but like our fear of that shouldn't make us miss the, the dynamic and the, the energy of a, of a text like this, you know? Yeah. And I think, I mean, you can just try as a preacher to give the ecstasy of the message about Christ to people. And I just think, again, you know, we're, we're recording at a time when still so many people are locked down. Their lives are so limited. Like they're actually literally stuck inside themselves all the time because they're not allowed to yeah. go out. And at home. At right? home, like Whoa. stuck at home, right? Like, and yeah, we'd like to get out of our homes. And End like, day muntes. <laughs> that is us. End day muntes. Out of our, just like out, get me out of here. And and for a lot of people, it's the terrible loneliness that comes with being stuck in lockdown. So to actually, I think maybe give that gift of ecstasy in the sense of, you know, at least in this, this moment together, as we're hearing the word of the Lord, we're given permission to step outside of ourselves, to step into Christ's reality, into the new creation, into the new set of relationships that, that gives to us. And at least, have a vision of its possibility, even if, you know, we're literally deprived of it in so many ways right now. Well, that's really good. And for a lot of us who are in parts of the world and or the country that we're in where the lockdown is releasing Mm -hmm. and people like in my part of the country, there's been significant vaccination and also just kind of a general libertarian culture here in the Midwest where it's like, you know, first chance we get, you know, loosening up maybe. And to to name that yeah there was kind of like that ecstasy that people are experiencing when you just like go to a restaurant for the first time in a while yeah and to name that but then also to kind of flip it around and then to ask like well what what's the ecstasy that's being invited from us right is it simply to return and then this comes back to new creation is it simply to return to the old right mm-hmm. or is there something new did we learn something in this season Is there something of our new creation, something of regarding Christ no longer according to the flesh, but to use that phrase from, what was that good phrase from NLT that you liked? uh, The, how differently we now know him, right? That, right, right. Did, are there, was there some new insight about what was in the heart and not just on the face? Uh, I mean, just little things like, wow, maybe I actually am a more pleasant person when I'm wearing looser clothing on a Zoom meeting than when I'm in this <laughs> tight clothes going like, you know, and like to ask myself like, okay, well, how am I treating my own body? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a lot of these kind of questions that could be explored about what are the, so whether I, I like, there's both sides of it. You're, you're in a much more lockdown environment than I am right now as we oh, record No, no, this. I'm not at all. Not at all. No. Has it been released? You're just kind of the state of emergency in Japan means, means the bars have to close at eight. <laughs> okay, great. Okay. So yeah, you're in the, you just know where there are a lot of people have been. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the rates, at least in Tokyo, the rates of infection haven't been bad. They're worse in Osaka. Okay. okay. Actually, you know, so I'm thinking about the face thing again, since you mentioned that and two totally different trajectories come to mind. So one is, great and this is building on the pandemic experience is I recently had the extremely unsettling experience that there's someone I've known about a year, but I've only known her since the pandemic started. And in Tokyo, like in Japan, everyone wears a mask in public all the time. Like it's just not an issue here, but they, they had a pre-existing mask culture for sickness. So <laughs> when I actually, when I gave her communion, she took off her mask and I didn't know who it was. For a second. Yes. 
Yes. Because I, and I had not realized until that moment, I'd never seen her without a mask on. And so clearly my brain as brains do just like filled in what it inferred the lower half of her face to look like. And I literally did not know her. And I think I may have even physically startled, like I managed not to spill the communion wine, but I was so unnerved by this experience. But the funny thing is like, I realized that my, my knowledge of her and judgment of her was based on the kind of person she was. And she's a wonderful person. And I really, really like her. So like, I was judging her by the heart because I literally could not judge her by the face. Wow. So wow. there's something like, so there's some, maybe, you know, that that's a, a very pertinent example that you could, you could build off of about this face versus heart kind of thing. And then the other direction that I thought of is, I know you said before that um, Preacher Mandy, your wife, likes to get into epistles narratively by connecting it back to an Old Testament story. And so I was thinking, again, as I mentioned before from, uh, was it First or Second Samuel, where, uh, you know, the Lord says, I do not judge by outward appearances, but by the heart. And that's why David is the winner over all of his older brothers. So that might be a way to pull in a story element to this sequence of super profound, but um, confusing and dislocating Pauline aphorisms, you know, and kind of like you could zero in on that, that topic more. And then you could explore in a way that isn't the, the shallow contrast between, you know, heart and outward action, but like the, the really deep issues there. And of course, David is such an interesting character. You can go in so many different directions with that. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. It was hiding in the back of my mind. I'm like, are we going to go there or not? I double checked the language is almost identical in the Septuagint in the Greek Old oh, Testament. Interesting, interesting. So it, it's almost a good case could be made that this is uh that Paul intends that specific illusion. Or or to I would intend is a strong claim. Uh <laughs> the the one I'd be willing to make would be uh like what you mentioned earlier about a little refrains that make their way into our heads, you know, <laughs> uh the little earworms. Uh, that's a phrase that just rolls off the tongue because he just grew up in the synagogue and would sure, know this sure. language. So whether he had the story in his head or not, he definitely had it in, uh, or it's in his head if it wasn't in mind. I learned that trick from someone, oh, right? Nice. <laughs> so you, you don't have to have something on in in mind to have it in your head, right? <laughs> so very good, very um, good. But yeah, no, that's a great connection. That's cool that you remembered that that little uh, trick. And Mandy and I just recorded. Oh, was it a pass? It was a chapter or two just before this, and uh, I mean, we had a we had a great fun time. But I'm 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 uh, quite certain that our listeners would be able to to detect that you and I are like, yay, a Pauline letter! Like you know, like we just think they're so cool and love geeking out on them. And uh, and Mandy's like a master of like, okay, John, normal people don't get all ecstatic when they read this. <laughs> so you have to find stories to make, help them get into it, you know? Yeah. And actually, wow. Again, I, I come back to that ecstasy is to say for you and I, who are a little bit more naturally ecstatic about all the dynamics of Paul's ideas, you know, to just recognize that for all of our listeners, you know, if, if you've been called to bear the word for others and bear this particular word, the words that Paul uh, wrote and has been preserved for us, your own journey of, you know, have you felt the ecstasy before God hmm. that he's talking about here? And what's, what's it going to take for you to tap into that if that's kind of unfamiliar to you? Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, if you're just naturally ecstatic about this, okay, pause and ask, how am I going to help others, you know, <laughs> touch into this? And I thought your story, I mean, that was worth the whole show for me. That story of your friend with the mask. That's really cool. I mean, that is almost a, a very precise sort of example of this where you're, you were kept from, but you're right. I, I've had a few students where I saw their faces for the first time, you know, this at the end of the year during the spring. And, and I had filled out the rest of their face in my brain with just like, and it was totally different. <laughs> right, 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 right. We imagine that when we, because the eyes are so central to our encounter with another person that we imagine that, oh, if I see their eyes, I've, I, I know them. And in, mm-hmm. in a way that's true, but not in the, but in the sense of see into their heart, but not in the sense of knowing what their face actually looks like, because it really <laughs> is a different. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that just so, so well captures the, the 
the contrast of values here. Yeah, I like that. That's really powerful. Well, there's a whole bunch of sermon starters here that our listeners can run with in all kinds of different directions. So I hope that uh, speaks to y'all. Any last words you want to slip in under the radar before we wrap it up? New creation! <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sarah, for being a, a fellow uh, Pauline ecstatic. <laughs> that was very ecstatic. I always love your energy and your insight and oh, your friendship. You're welcome. So it was thank a joy. You. Yeah. Well, thanks uh, to all our listeners. Uh, thanks to Sarah, of course, for the time she gave. And thanks uh, to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this without them. Uh, thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks especially to our patron saints who support the show. Appreciate you so much. If you want to see different ways you can support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text. And uh, be sure to uh, check out uh, sarahhenlickywilson.com. Did I do it right? Okay. And sign up for Theology and a Recipe and see where you can get her podcast um, and other sorts of stuff that she puts out. So, yeah, thanks so much. You're welcome. Say, you. Yeah. And as always, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye.